Hello to those of you gathering here for our second uh, uh, Sunday of regathering. I want to say hello to those of you watching online. And I, I'm just so excited to have you in this room. Um, those of you that are here live and in person, uh, you may not know this or not, but uh, when uh, we started doing services just online and, and online only, um, Katie and Keith and Cody, they actually put some pictures on the seats of some people in our congregation, but right on the center of the pole was a, a picture that was printed out of Tim Tebow, all right? And it was kind of fun to look at. It was like, oh man, Tebow's in the house, you know? He's attending Grace Church. But I would much rather look at your faces than Tim Tebow's, all right? So I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. Um, It's just really an honor, really a pleasure to have you here. Before we dive into the message this morning, I want to give you a little encouragement. And the reason I want to do this is because my, my interactions with a lot of people throughout this time that we've been in, Uh, My interactions with a lot of different people, I've been hearing a lot of repeated statements or a lot of repeated phrases. Statements that go like this. This is a crazy time. (laughs) All right? I don't think I even have to ask you to raise your hand. You've probably heard that statement. This time is so crazy. Wow, there is a lot of chaos in our world today. Crazy, crazy times. I've heard statements like this, I can't believe what's going on in our world today. And then once again, I think the repeated word that I've heard most often is crazy. It's crazy times. You know, the truth is, a lot of people's lives have been flipped upside down. It seems like chaos is kind of running rampant. I think there's chaos in in people's uh, businesses, you know, there's a lot of uh, concern, there's even some fear. There's chaos in our world today. Last year, I was able to listen to a talk that was given by Ben Sherwood. He's the former president of Disney, ABC Television. And I was sitting and I was listening to his talk, and he was actually um, sharing about the research that had been done on people that survived a plane crash or a helicopter crash. And it was really fascinating to me. And I, I was taking notes, and I was just listening in, and He was talking about, I mean, talk about the most chaotic uh, event you could probably face, uh, you know, an aviation crash. Um, But he talked about how the studies showed what helped the survivors survive the crash. What was it that helped them to walk away from that experience alive? What helped them to survive? And he shared three identifiers or common denominators with all the crash survivors and I wanted to just share it with you this morning because I think it's so applicable to the things that we're facing in our world today. I think it applies to what we're facing. And I would highly encourage you to get out a pen. There should be one near you, hopefully. But grab a pen, write this down because I think it's that good. But throughout the research that was done, the number one common denominator that was found in survivors was this. Maintain your point of reference. What he meant by that was is you need to know where you are and you need to know where you're trying to go. Maintain your point of reference. You need to know where you are. You need to know where you're trying to go in the midst of all the smoke, in the midst of all the noise, in the midst of all the chaos. You need to maintain your point of reference. You need to know where you're going. And I love that because 
I don't know about you, but for me, I feel like um, anytime I, I turn on the news, anytime I get on social media, anytime I interact with a lot of different people, sometimes it just sounds like noise to me. Sometimes it's just a lot of chaos. And the way I interpreted this for, for me and my faith is I need to maintain my point of reference on Jesus Christ. In the midst of all the chaos and all the noise and, and all the uh, stuff going on around, I need to keep my eyes focused on Jesus. And I need to know where I'm going. I need to know what I'm about and not get distracted to the left or to the right. I need to know where I am going. Number two, he said in this, in this research, obviously, if you're in a plane crash, you have to wait for the violent or sudden motion to stop. And then he said, things will settle. They always do. Things will settle. They always do. If you try to fight the violent motion of a crash, you will not win, okay? You have to wait for the chaos to kind of stop. You have to wait for the dust to settle, and the dust always settles. You have to wait for it to stop. You have to assess the damage, and then you spring into action. Number three, they found three things that were in common with uh, survivors that they interviewed and at, uh, that were a part of this research. And these three things were this. Survivors were ruthlessly honest about their surroundings. Okay? They, they, weren't, uh, they weren't fooling themselves about what they had just experienced. They didn't deny the fact that they had just experienced a plane crash. And they were not surprised or uh, shocked by the carnage around them. They were very real about what they had just experienced. Survivors also, they didn't lose hope. I love this one. All right? Think about the world that we're in today. Think about maybe the chaos that you might be experiencing in your own life. But survivors, they did not lose hope. Even in the midst of chaos, they did not lose the desire to live. They wanted to survive. They wanted to live. They didn't lose hope. And then lastly, survivors always kept their faith. These are people that survived traumatic experiences. They were able to walk away from horrific crashes and their faith pushed them forward and did not allow them to quit. I love that. I couldn't help but share that with you this morning because in all the chaos that we're facing in our world today, the chaos that may be in your personal life, I just have to ask, what if we practiced some of those things? What if you were ruthlessly honest about what's going on in your life? You're not trying to fool yourself. You're not trying to lie to yourself. You're actually very honest about the problems that are in your own life. And you're honest about them and you're willing to deal with those problems. What if we didn't lose hope? What if we leaned heavily into our faith? Gosh, I think it would make a dramatic difference in your life personally. I think it would make a dramatic difference in your circle of influence. I think it would make a dramatic difference in our world. I can't tell you how many people I've had those kind of conversations with about, wow, it's a crazy time. Wow, it's so chaotic. I've kind of lost count. 
but I thought it would be really, really good if we just took a moment and I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to pray over uh, your marriages. I'm going to pray over your families. I'm going to pray over you individually. And I just thought that would be a great way to start this morning as we get into the sermon. So if you would join me, and I'm just going to ask God to pour out his goodness upon us and to guide us and direct us. Father, I just want to pray for those that are watching online, for those that are here at Grace Church. God, I pray that your abundant favor would be upon their lives. I pray that they would lean heavily into their faith. They would never lose sight of you, Jesus. In the midst of all the noise and all the chaos, I pray that they would never lose sight of you. God, I pray that they would never lose hope. I pray for those that are here, those that are watching online, and those in our region who have thought of taking their lives, who have contemplated it, who have lost so much hope that they feel like taking their life would solve the problem. I pray that you would um, give them a special dose of hope this morning, God. And I pray that they would never lose the desire to live. I pray that you would help us to never lose hope. God, I pray for the marriages represented. I pray for the families. I pray for uh, those individuals that are here this morning. I just pray, God, that you would speak to them in such a way this morning that they would hear directly from you. Lord, I want to be your mouthpiece. I want to just be a vessel that you can use to speak to your people, to speak to people who are far from you. God, I pray that people will hear from you this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Today we're in part four of our series in What we're going to be talking about today is those who would say, I want to believe, but I don't think God is good. I want to believe, but I don't think God is good. People who may ask, if God was good, then why do people die? If God was really good, then why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much evil? Why is there so much pain if God was really good? Is God really good? Is God for me or against me? Because sometimes in my experiences of life, it feels like he might be against me. I want to believe, but I don't think God is good. So we're going to talk about that this morning. And I want to just say something to you before we dive into it. I mentioned last Sunday, we want to be a church that is not afraid to ask hard questions. We're not afraid to uh, talk about the hard topics. We don't want to be a church that's afraid. And so if you think that I'm going to answer everything about the goodness of God in the next, you know, 20, 25 minutes, um, it's not going to happen, okay? But this is going to trigger the conversation in our church. This is going to trigger the conversation between you and I and between each other. Let's talk about the goodness of God. Let's deal with the hard questions that are being asked about the God that we worship. Let's not be afraid of them. So I'm just starting the conversation this morning, and it's going to continue long after we're done here this morning. 
by the way, some of, some of you today, I think what we talk about, it, it is going to be life-changing for you. I think you're going to be impacted in such a great way today when the Holy Spirit reveals to you more and more of who he is. You know, in church, those of you that have been around church, maybe this is your first time at church, maybe this is the first time watching church online, but in a lot of church cultures, there used to be a pastor or a worship leader that would stand up in front of everybody that was present, and the pastor or the worship leader would would kind of, uh, with a lot of enthusiasm, would say, God is good. And then everyone that was present would say, all the time. And then the pastor or the worship leader would say, all the time. And then everybody would say, God is good. All right? Let's just do it once, just for fun. All right? All right? God is good. All the time. All right. So that was kind of just a fun way to kick off church. It happened in a lot of churches and this morning what I'm trying to dive into is how do we explain the goodness of God God is good all the time all the time God is good how do we explain the goodness of God in light of people's real experiences when people are going through hard times it doesn't feel like God is good all the time. When people lose a loved one, it doesn't feel like God is good all the time. We all know some dear friends who were involved in a horrific head-on collision just about a week and a half, two weeks ago. Sometimes it doesn't feel like God is good all the time. Dear friend of mine, she just lost her husband to cancer. Sometimes it doesn't feel like God is good all the time. So how do we explain the goodness of God in the midst of pain and heartache and loss? First of all, I just I want you to know if if you get rid of God, cuz I think that's really the agenda. I think that's what people are trying to do sometimes is they're just trying to disprove God or get rid of God. So let's say you're, uh, you were able to get rid of God somehow. If you get rid of God, you still have your problems. You still have your pain. You still have your suffering. And you still have your heartache. There's still sickness, pain, and death. You know, I think about the time that Jesus interacted with Peter one of his disciples, when they had some questions, and Jesus, once again, was not afraid of questions. They were asking Jesus questions, and he said to Peter, he said, Peter, will you leave me? And I loved Peter's response. He said, where are we going to (laughs) go? He said, Jesus, you are the one that has the words of eternal life. No, I'm not going to leave you, because where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? I think the first thing is, is realizing that you haven't solved your problem by running from God. Running from God doesn't solve your problems. Your problems are still going to be there. So that's not the answer. It's not the answer is to, to just run or to give up on God. Secondly, the goodness of God only comes into question when bad things happen. Isn't that fascinating? 
And I love that last song that we sang. I think so, so often we forget about the blessings. We forget about the good times and the laughter and the, the great memories and the great experiences, but we, we tend to hyper-focus on the bad experience. We tend to forget about all the good things, all the good days. What about the days when we were laughing and celebrating? What about all those days when we were not questioning the goodness of God? Rather, we were experiencing the goodness of God. We were living it out in real time. You see, you have to put the pain or the brokenness that you may be experiencing experiencing, you may have to put the pain or the brokenness of a situation and you have to put it against the history of the goodness of God. The third thing I think addresses the why. Like why do we have pain? Why does God allow this or that to happen? How can God allow evil? How can he even allow it to happen? See, God has given me a choice. He's given you the ability to choose. And with that choice comes the potential for evil to exist. Because you can choose against good. You can choose to do the wrong thing. The Apostle Paul said, um, all things are, are, are lawful to me. He said, I can do whatever I want, basically, is what he was saying. But he said, not all things are profitable. Okay? I have the ability, I have the free choice to do whatever the heck I want to do. But not every choice is going to bring benefit. So with choice comes the potential for evil. So the reality is, is we're free. We're free to choose. We have that freedom, but with that freedom, evil is allowed to exist. Freedom allows for it because now you have a choice. But the reality is, is, is humankind actualizes it. It's the, it's the human race that carries out those choices. Because God has given us a choice, we can choose to do evil things. And when we choose to do evil, it affects other people. When a murderer chooses to carry out a murder, he does evil to someone else. Our our choices have a ripple effect. They affect other people. The reality is, God gets far too much of the blame for the evil that is caused by mankind. Okay, let me say that one more time. God gets far too much of the blame for the evil that is caused by mankind. God has given us the ability to choose because he didn't want us to be robots. He wanted us to love him out of our free will, out of our choice to make a decision to love him. Not, I will love you, God, because you have programmed me to love you, right? 
I can tell you're smiling behind those masks. I know you are. You love the robot. I can tell. The reality is, is God gets way too much of the blame for evil that is caused by mankind. That's why I need God who can choose to intervene in the reality of the evil world that you live in and that I live in. You see, if if I'm just left to mankind, then I'm subject to anything anyone wants to do at any time. But when my faith is in God, I have hope. Even when things are out of control, I have hope that knowing that this story, the story of my existence, the story of your existence on this planet is not the final story. I have hope in that. I have hope knowing that there is coming a day when God has promised that he will wipe away every tear. That there is coming a time when there will be no more death. There will be no more pain. There will be no more crying. There is coming a day, a time when the old things will pass away and God will make everything new. By the way, you can find that in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 through 5. Just so you're not taking my word for it, okay? I want you to see it for yourself in the scriptures. Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 through 5. There is coming a great day. We have hope in that day when God is going to make wrongs right. Honestly, my biggest comfort for me personally, okay, I'm just speaking for myself, my biggest comfort is like Peter when I say, where else am I going to go? <laughs> where else am I going to go? If you take me away from God, I I have no hope. I'm at the whim of everything else. I'm just going to be tossed around. Without my hope in Christ, I would be hopeless. I would be miserable. You would not want to live with me if I didn't have Jesus. You see, I would rather put my hope in God who I cannot fully understand than to put my hope into mankind or to put my hope into the next election or to put my hope into uh, anything other than Christ. And all you have to do is watch the evening news to see that putting your hope in mankind, it will not work out very well. It will turn into chaos. Yeah, but Justin, how, how can I approach my faith with boldness When experience tells me that last time I asked God to help and he didn't help me. Last time I prayed for God to to do something specific. I, I prayed to God that he would help and he didn't. I mean, how do you conjure up bold, confident faith when it feels like last time God didn't come through? He didn't answer your prayers in the way that you wanted them to be answered? How do you walk in a way that believing that God is good when 
when you feel like you've experienced something different. I, I asked God to heal someone, and he didn't heal them. I asked God to protect someone, and it seems like he didn't protect them. Like, how am I supposed to move forward confidently in my faith when it feels like God has let me down? Let me just start by saying the, the only reason we can ask God for things the only reason we can ask God to heal someone or to protect someone, or the, the only reason we can ask God for things like healing is because he has a history of doing so. There have been times that I have prayed for God to heal someone, and he has miraculously healed them. But there have been times when I've asked God to heal someone and he has chosen not to heal them. But when you have a history with God, you know, doing things in your yesterday, when you face your today or when you face your tomorrow, whether he, whether he does what you're praying for or whether he doesn't do what you're praying for, at least you can be confident that the possibility exists. You can be confident that God can. He's able. He's all-powerful. He can heal. He can do what he wants to do. I'm confident in that. And if the possibility exists, then I have to trust in the fact that whether he chooses to do it or not, I have to trust that he knows what he's doing. Gosh, it's hard. I have to trust that he knows what he's doing. Because I I know what he can do. And I know what he's capable of. You know, a lot of people will ask, gosh, I'll say, Pastor Justin, why? 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 I can't answer all the whys. Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29 says that God has secret things that no one knows. We will not be able to answer all of the whys. I won't be able to answer all of the whys. That's that's his prerogative. There will be things that God allows that we don't like. You won't like it. I won't like it. But we have to believe that God knows what he's doing. whether he's doing what we want him to do or not. (laughs) But then again, we have enough history with God to know what he can do, what he's capable of. Some people might say, but Justin, when I see bad things happen to good people, or when God doesn't answer my prayers at the way I was praying them, the way that I wanted him to, 
when I see evil in our world, it just makes me mad. It just makes me angry. I, I don't know what to do with this anger. I don't, I'm not really quick. I'm not a person that's quick to turn to hope. I'm really quick to turn to anger. You need to know this. God allows anger. There's a misconception. There's a lie out there that Christians cannot get angry. But God allows anger. You you can feel guilty at times because you're angry at God. God allows anger. He allows frustration. I want to encourage you to read the book of Habakkuk. It's in the Old Testament at the very end, right before the New Testament begins. But the book of Habakkuk is all about a frustrated, angry man. A man who was constantly asking, how could you allow this, God? How could you allow this to happen? He was asking God those types of questions. Let me give you a couple encouragements about your anger. Number one, be respectful in your anger. The scripture says, be angry and sin not. So when you're angry, be respectful in your anger. It's okay to feel the pain of disappointment in God. You feel like God has disappointed you. You feel like God didn't answer the prayers the way you wanted him to be, that you wanted him to answer. God didn't do it the way you thought it should be done, so you're disappointed with him. Listen, God already knows how you feel. (laughs) He already knows that you're disappointed with him, so and be respectful, but say, God, I'm disappointed in you. He already knows, so trying to hide it isn't going to help. He already knows how you feel. So say, God, I'm disappointed in you. It's not the way I wanted it to work out. Secondly, and take your anger to God. God, I, I don't understand what you did. I I don't understand why you did it. God, it's not fair. God, I'm hurting. Like, take it to him. Take it to him. Read the book of Habakkuk. Read Psalms when David is expressing his emotions to God. It's all over the scriptures. And listen, God is big. He can handle your emotions. He can handle your anger. He can handle your questions. Take it to him. It's called a relationship with the Almighty God. It's an incredible thing. Number three, encouragement about anger. I would say the times that people get most angry is when it comes to death. When someone loses a loved one. And that's when anger can be expressed the most. But number three, just to encourage you in this area of anger, you've got to have the right theology of death. If you don't have the right theology about death, death is only and always a negative thing. But in God's kingdom, okay, in God's economy, death is not always a negative thing. In Psalm 116, verse 15, there is an astonishing statement made about God, and it says this, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. 
once again, on this side of heaven, it's like, God, you took them too soon. We, we, we are hurting because we want them here. But God says it's precious when they enter the glories of heaven. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, written by King Solomon, who was said to be the wisest man who ever lived, he says, it's better to go to a funeral than to a party. What does he mean by that? You see, when you're at a funeral, you take life seriously. You, you have to. You have to take life seriously at a funeral. At a party, you don't think about the brevity of life. You don't, uh, and you're just having a good time. You're celebrating. But at a funeral, you have to think about life and how short it is and why am I on this planet. And you, you have to think about it. At a funeral, you put life in its proper perspective. Seventy years, maybe you have 80 years, but then it's boom, it's over. The scripture says, God, teach us to number our days. What he means by that is make every day count. Make every day count. Because the time that you and I have on this earth is so Short. It's so, it's going to go by so fast. But Justin, I thought if I had enough faith in God, that God would do the miraculous. I I thought if we prayed enough, I thought if we believed enough, and if we didn't have any doubt, that God would do whatever we ask Him to do. Unfortunately, many people use the concept of faith to manipulate God. God cannot be manipulated. He does call us to believe. He does call us to prayer. He does call us to grow in our faith. So yes, we are to exercise faith in, in a, let me say it this way, in a all-powerful, okay, which means he is able. We are to exercise faith in an all-knowing, which means he knows better than you know. He knows better than I know. We are to exercise faith in an all-powerful, all-knowing God. So you're not exercising faith in a God that you can control. You cannot control God. You're exercising faith in a God who has the final say. You're exercising faith in a God who makes the final decision. This means you're inviting God in to do what he has willed or purposed to do. Let me just quickly try to explain the difference of what he's willed to do or what he's purposed to do. Everything that God wills to do does not mean that he's automatically going to do it. Sometimes he'll do it when he sees the faith of his saints. So sometimes God will will something to happen, but it won't happen until there is faith that triggers it. But there are times when God does things because that's what he's decided to do. 
That's what he's purposed to do. There's no amount of prayer. There's no amount of believing. There's no amount of faith that's going to change it. That's just what God's going to do. Other times he does things when we trust him to do it. Kind of see the difference of willed and purposed. There are things that, man, he's, he's listening to your prayers. He's watching your faith. But there's other times when God's going to just do it because that's what he's purposed to do. And you might say, Justin, <laughs> I, I'm kind of confused. I don't know which one's which. This is making my head want to explode. Uh, join the club. Okay. I don't know which one is which. Well, this is why we express, this is why we encourage prayer and faith in everything. This is why we pray. This is why we exercise faith. I mean, this, this is the essence of trust. You're, you're trusting, you're stepping out in faith, even though you can't see everything out here in the future. You're, you're trusting God with your future. You're trusting Him, even though you don't yet fully understand. Listen, you, you cannot manipulate God to make Him do what you want Him to do. Is God good all the time? The answer is yes. Does God get too much of the blame for the evil and the brokenness that mankind causes? The answer is absolutely. Well, I have all the answers to all the why questions. I'm sorry, but no. That's where faith, that's where trust, that's where hope comes in. For those of you watching online this morning, we're actually going to send you off to some questions that we want you to discuss um, in your homes that you're meeting with. And for the rest of us here that are gathered, we're going to sing another song of worship to God. But before you leave, I do want to encourage you to look to Jesus. He's the foundation. He is the one who will never leave you will never forsake you. Are we going to have it all figured out? No. But look to Jesus. He will give you the faith you need. He says, my grace is sufficient. When you feel like you're at the end of your rope, he just gives you an, another dose of grace. He helps you to continue on another day. In the midst of all the noise, and there's a lot of noise, in the midst of all the noise and all the chaos, Keep your eyes on Jesus. 